Hello, we're Project 6 and we're a charity working with people in South and West Yorkshire. We deliver a range of services to support people with alcohol and other drug use to help individuals, families and communities to make meaningful and sustainable change in their well-being. And you're listening to our podcast. So the purpose of this, we wanted to share some ideas and different viewpoints on how we can improve drug and alcohol support, work that's already taking place and what the future could look like, and especially how we can challenge and even dismantle the stigma and discrimination associated with problematic alcohol and drug use. Why? Because that's what the people who come to our service say is what matters to them. People who have used alcohol and other drugs problematically are some of the most heavily stigmatised groups in the world. So how do we change the narrative? Jim Armstrong is the Director of Marketing and Innovation at Phoenix Futures, a national UK charity who's been working to support people affected by drugs and alcohol for over 50 years. They have a proud history of campaigning, giving a voice to people who were so often left unheard. If you visit the Phoenix Futures website, there's a whole section dedicated to anti-stigma work and challenging discrimination associated with alcohol and other drug use. There's a lot of really interesting research, case studies and resources on there. What role has campaigning played in the history of Phoenix Futures and during your time with the organisation? Yeah, I think we um, constantly come up against issues of health inequality in particular, but not just health inequality, but the drivers of good health in all areas that drive sort of health and well-being, really, whether it's employment, meaningful use of time, social engagement, um, access to good quality housing. It's really hard to do any work around the area of substance use, dependency and addiction without that becoming really obvious that actually our work is really hard to do because of the structures and attitudes within society. They're not um, things that are restricted to the UK, but the UK has its own particular uh, issues around how we support and help people get better from addiction issues. So you just can't avoid it really. If you're trying to do the work of helping people uh, providing drug and alcohol treatment and support. You just can't get away from the fact that uh, stigma and discrimination are prevalent on a, on a day-to-day basis. And so we, d- we decided pretty early on, really, that um, that was an area that we wanted to look at. Um, and it's probably inspired by some of the work Phoenix has done over the years, really. I mean, going back to the sort of mid-80s, Phoenix was really... I think pioneering in really trying to address the negative, fixed, stereotypical societal attitudes towards people with drug and alcohol problems. Inspired by that, knowing that we can do something with a little bit of resource, try and break down some of that misunderstanding and present some clearer insight and empathy and understanding so there's a big, there's been a big movement, you know, over the last sort of uh, 15, 20 years, talk about person focused care, people first language, 
trying to break down stereotypes and, and and that's i think been really successful in the area of disability i saw that in, when i worked for disability charities i think more recently in the area of mental health currently maybe in the area of homelessness making big strides obviously through the work of crisis and shelter but i would say that substance use has kind of been left behind really um, and perhaps even purposefully sometimes because it's kind of difficult and it's kind of uh, deeply entrenched in our society. And it's kind of easier to kind of separate out drug and alcohol use from homelessness, mental health, disability. And to some extent, I wonder whether the gains made in some of those areas of um, social change have left behind the issue of drug and alcohol use. And that was something that we felt behind the times. You know, we were seeing this great work going on elsewhere. We were inspired by the work Venus, Venus had previously done. Uh, and, and we still are, you know, I think 10 years down the line since I've been doing this work, we're still, I feel, way behind. Why do you think that is? I sense there's something a little more behind that. Why do you think perhaps drug and alcohol hasn't experienced that change in attitudes that we've seen in mental health, especially since the pandemic? Yeah, I think there's a few reasons. I think some of these actually have some some pros and cons to them. But I think anonymity has been a movement uh, that has been very beneficial for people affected by substance use, um, particularly within fellowships, mutual aid organisations like AA, and has helped many, many people. But the fundamental means of avoiding societal shaming, being anonymity, by default means that issues aren't talked about as broadly, that there isn't such a visibility. Uh, where charities started to do state-funded work, it meant they didn't have to do as much fundraising. And I think when you're fundraising from the general public, you need to make your case, you need to be, you're, you're making a promise, you know, and you need to, you need to, um, in order to attract funds, you need to destigmatize your topic. And I think the combination of anonymity and state funding uh, within the addiction sector meant that that wasn't such an imperative. I think what you had from 2010 was austerity cuts and leading up to those austerity cuts, uh, government uh, rhetoric, which talked about, at the time, I think it was the strivers and the skivers. You know, I think there was this sort of divisive language. And we're, we're pretty, um, I mean, that, that, that sort of use of divisive language to preempt a policy is, is common. However, at the time, it felt particularly nasty. And it felt like who's going to be most hurt by that? It's going to be the most stigmatised groups who haven't had a public face and who haven't de-stigmatised their message and improved understanding as much because they've been focused on a sort of behind closed doors, anonymous state funded support. So it felt like collectively we had to all do our bit to reach out, educate and help people understand that people affected by drug and alcohol use are as worthy of rights and help and support and respect and dignity as everybody else yeah 
and the real scary thing is that people stop seeing the discrimination in their experiences or or the lack of parity with other types of support and it just becomes what's expected or the norm and especially when there's no alternative the sort of low expectations really um you know being grateful rather than asserting rights to high quality care being grateful for anything and we did see that the cuts to um uh, the addiction sector during that period were really quite severe and probably much greater, I would argue, than they would have been if there was more of a public realisation of the impact, more of a backlash, more, and, and if there'd been better uh, coordination across addiction treatment providers. But again, traditionally state-funded, traditionally addressed stigma through anonymity, it was difficult for organisations to suddenly come together and start to challenge in a way that perhaps we saw more effectively from disability charities coming together as an alliance. Thinking about the change that's been happening, moving away from focusing on substances and behaviours to, to people and their own stories, is there a campaign that you think has been really successful in recent times? I think there's lots of really good local kind of targeted, personable and person focused campaigns. Um, I think the I think Recovery Month every year throws up a huge amount of really interesting activity, everything from you know recovery walks that take place across the country um, to podcasts to we run a film festival. And I feel like those are the activities that do it right. They tend to be funded on low to no budget, very much driven by lived experience and really engaging and authentic. And I think it's all those lots of individual campaigns that that work. Uh, I'm a little bit suspicious about large national government-funded public campaigns. I wanted to hear today a little bit about the Anti-Stigma Network, which Phoenix Futures have recently launched, and it sounds a really exciting project. How would you describe the network to someone who's hearing about it for the first time? It's, it's sort of happening now. It's all coming together. So um, it's Phoenix working with a number of other organisations, including the uh, NHS Addiction Provider Alliance, um, ADFAM, who are an organisation that provide uh, families affected by loved ones' substance use problem, and uh, a number of other organisations, including DDN, Build on Belief, and Paul John Moore's University. So we're all coming together uh, as a kind of steering group, really, to develop the Anti-Stigma Network. And the theory is that... Um, the best kind of anti-stigma work is that local, very focused, creative, podcasting, filmmaking, storytelling projects, that the kind of projects that break down barriers within communities, share information, share stories, create visibility, improve education. We feel like those are campaigns which are really effective. However, there are lots of them and lots of the people producing them are kind of working a little bit in isolation and with uh, low to no money. And we found at Phoenix, we were doing a lot of work and, and 
coming across people doing a lot of really good anti-stigma work, uh, but always felt we should work closer with those people. That would be really good. We could help them. They could help us. And at times it happened. We'd sort of link up and do some really good work with people. Um, at times we just thought, oh, yeah, well, that'll be a really good thing to do. Then we all crack on doing our, our thing, really. And the idea of the network is to create that support so that anybody interested in addressing stigma and discrimination faced by people with drug or alcohol use problems can join the network and have a, a sort of community of support. And it can be academics. It could be... Uh, businesses we expect lots of sort of charities and community projects to get involved we've already got a, about 100 organizations interested uh, we welcome individuals who just want to learn more about stigma how stigma works learn more about dependency addiction recovery it's for everybody really it's, it's really inclusive it's about enabling people to get together make links support each other promote each other's projects sort of amplify the benefit of those fantastic projects that are going on and at some point to work to be able to help resource and support those individual projects to do the work that we think is the most effective. If you look forward 12 months what kind of change would you like to see the anti-stigma network making and, and what might that look like? Um, there's, there's a really wide range of really interesting projects and there's a huge amount of learning but a lot of that learning is kind of locked up within individual people or organisations. We also have a, a general need, I think, to make our anti-stigma work, particularly at Phoenix, but I think many people feel the same, you know, more inclusive, more engaging. And um, how do we do that? You know, I guess from our point of view, we thought well, it would be nice to speak to other people that are doing something similar and, and kind of get their viewpoint, really. Let's see if we can learn from each other. And we've done some nice pieces of work you know, using social media influencers um, to have a debate in social media uh, and raise awareness around addiction. Um, we've seen other people do great work in the area of uh, podcasting, in the area of film, television, you know, how to how to engage with the media, how to use language in a way that uh, destigmatizes. There's lots of really great learning out there. I guess we thought it'd be useful for us. So maybe other people find it useful and let's create a sort of network and community of support. It's kind of okay to get it a bit wrong, but let's take a step to talking about things. I think what we don't want to do is, is uh, define a set of language or a way of addressing an issue or a way of sort of reducing stigma where we say, this is, you know, this is the way to do it. And if you don't do it this way, you're doing it wrong. What we want to do is say that, you know, we ourselves as a, as a network will make mistakes, but let's, See if we can create a movement and kind of move that movement ahead. And we will get things wrong. We will say the wrong thing sometimes. But that's the risk. You know, we need to do that. The wider benefit and the ultimate goal. Thanks to Jim. There's a link to the Anti-Stigma Network's website in the description of this episode if you'd like to find out more about the work they're doing. Less than two weeks to go and we're so excited to see everyone at the Ideas Conference on the 22nd of June. Really looking forward to hearing from the range of speakers from across our sector and beyond. If you come in, we can't wait to meet you.
This really is your last chance to grab the final few remaining tickets. Head to project6.org.uk slash conference. And that's it.